listening to the Writers Forum. I'm your host, Mike Tusa, and today I'll be speaking with author Virginia Hartman about her debut novel, The Marsh Queen. Ms. Hartman received her Master's of Fine Arts in Creative Writing from the American University, and she currently teaches creative writing at George Washington University. Welcome to the show, Virginia. Thank you, Mike, for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, this is your debut novel, so I'm interested. How long did it take you to write The Marsh Queen? It took a very long time because it started as a short story and wasn't working. I set it aside, nibbled at it every once in a while, and then I just I was working on other short stories, another novel, some poetry, and those characters just kept nagging at me, and I thought, I like those people. So um, after a good long while, I went back to it, and it started to grow and grow and grow um, until it became a rough version of what you see um, in the book now. A um, lot of revisions, a lot of rearranging and, um, and finding the pattern, uh, but... I've been working on it for a long time with those characters. Okay. Well, let me ask, before we turn to specifics, let me ask this question since you mentioned characters. You know, writers will tell me how they live with their characters for months or years at a time. And I'm always curious about this, and listeners have written in or called in sometimes and asked they're puzzled by it as well. But I hear often, and I'm curious if this has been your experience, that when you create a good character or characters, they actually help write the story. I think that's true, and sometimes there are characters in the novel that you don't think are important who come out as quite important to the plot later. I mean, I always knew I had Lonnie. I always knew I had Adlai. Um, I always knew I had Ruth and Boyd, the parents of Lonnie. Right. But um, there were some minor characters that kind of made cameo appearances, and then later... As, as the plot began to develop, as I needed to leave clues, because there is a mystery element, even though it's, I consider it a literary novel with a mystery element. Uh-huh. Um, and as the mystery began to kind of surface, I needed to have characters who were slightly unreliable. Um, <laughs> and so one of those characters is Nelson Barber, who appears... In the, in the first iteration, he was just an old friend of the father's from long ago. And then when he started coming into the present uh, time of the story, he took on a completely new life, a different kind of unreliability. And that was really fun. You know, when a character starts to emerge in a, in a fun and funny way, because he's alternately funny and scary. Right. And um, so... Sometimes these things just just happen yeah. because you're in the story, you're working with the story, you're reading the story over again, and you think, here's an opportunity. Here's, yeah. here's somebody who kind of wants their voice heard a little more. All right, well, let's talk about the story. So the main character, Lonnie Mar- Morrow, is an artist, but she has a particular focus on drawing bo- birds for the Smithsonian. Did you have to do research to be able to provide that type of detail in the book plenty. concerning the work? Yes, plenty of research. I am a bird watcher, and so I was interested in the birds to begin with. In fact, the story started with the birds, and Lonnie grew up from that because I needed somebody who would be noticing the birds 
and who to notice birds better than a bird artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, uh, you know, I, I live outside of Washington, D.C., so I visited the Smithsonian, and they had an exhibit of bird drawings done by their staff artists. And um, I happened to run into someone who was a librarian um, and uh, at the Smithsonian. They have special libraries for each department. And... Um, and I struck up a conversation with her and told her what I was working on. And she said, here's who you need to talk to ah, in the ornithology department. Okay, all right. So I called the, the ornithology department, and they were extremely generous with their time and their knowledge. And they let me kind of spend a day in the back hallways of the Smithsonian. And it was fascinating. I got to talk to artists, and I got to talk to people who love birds, and um, they showed me their collection that the general public never sees. Um, So that was wonderful. And, of course, I did a lot of book research as well, but that experiential learning was crucial to depicting her life at the Smithsonian. Well, what, you know, one of the things that I was curious about, I'm always, and maybe this is just me, I'm always looking for metaphors and analogies and things like that, and I was curious what you thought the drawings of the birds and the detail that Lonnie provides uh, and the talent really required play in the larger narrative in the story. I mean, could you have written this story without Lonnie being uh, an artist? That's a good question. I think what I, what her defining characteristic is she is a noticer. Mm -hmm. So she notices small details and though she is reluctantly drawn in to this mystery that she has to solve. Um, She can't help but notice the subtleties of what people say and their aspect when they're speaking and that kind of thing. She doesn't, she doesn't see everything. Um, She misses a lot, which is kind of fun for the reader because maybe the reader will pick up on something that Lonnie is blind to, but um, she, she, can't help but follow this trail um, because her father died when she was a child and it was always deemed an accident. Um, But while she is at home in her North Florida town where she's reluctant to go back to, but she has to come back and help her mother, um, she starts to notice things and she starts to hear things that kind of inform the old story in a different way. And though she doesn't really want to remember, she wants to avoid the past because it's painful, she feels that she has to pursue some of these things that she notices. And that's as that's when the mystery element begins to develop. Yeah, I'm going to get you to read a little bit here in a section. But, you know, one of the things that struck me about her um, her ability as an artist and that, besides the very valid points, obviously, that you made. There was a point in the uh, book where she was looking for a particular type of bird, but she was having trouble finding it. And I, uh-huh. I apologize, I don't remember the, the name of the bird. But um, I, th- I thought that provided a bit of an analogy for what was going on elsewhere in her life. Mm, that's an interesting insight. Well, yeah, she goes, she goes in search of the purple gallinule, which is ah, a yes. remarkable-looking bird. And um, Florida's full of remarkable-looking birds if you get out there where they live. And um, that's an interesting uh, point that I hadn't thought of. But you're right. She 
that propels her forward, trying to find that bird so that she can draw it. Yeah. And at the same time, she's propelled forward toward a lot of these other questions, story yeah. questions. And it's not just how did her father die? It's also why does her mother treat her badly? Yeah. What is, um, you know, what is the answer to getting along with her brother? Um, all of these thorny questions that happen when we go home again, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, she's she's in pursuit of several different questions at the same time. Um, yeah. So it's it, it complicates the the plot yeah, it in does. interesting ways. Well, let me. We're going to talk about each one of those if we have time today. But can I get you to read a little bit, perhaps sure. from the beginning of the book? Sure. Uh, to lay yes. the predicate. Yeah. This is page one, so I, I don't have to do any explaining. <clears throat> if I were a different person, I could move forward and never look back, never try to fathom the forces that shaped me for the worse. But there are times when a fog rolls in, slow as dusk, beginning with a nodule of regret. I should have. Why didn't I? If only... I play the day my father left, left us for good, the sun showing orange through the live oak, him pacing at the bottom of the porch steps, 12-year-old me looking down with my baby brother Philip on one hip. I winced as I gently extracted a strand of my hair from his doughy little grasp. Daddy bounced on his feet on the bottom step and squinted up. Look, darling. Miss Jolene next door can help your mama with the baby. So how's about it, Lonnie Mae? You coming with me? My dad hadn't gone fishing in months, but he'd grown restless, knocking into furniture and slamming the screen door. There was a thrumming in the house like the wind before a storm. That day, my, ma my mother said, Boyd, go on. You're pacing the house like a caged animal. I'd have given almost anything to be out fishing in the swamp with him, to draw every creature I saw, to watch and listen as before. But how could I? I had to stay. Now that Philip was here, I served a purpose in my house. I held him while my mother talked on the phone, while she rested or did housework. I knew how to make him laugh those hiccupy laughs. He was my after-school activity, my weekend amusement, my part-time job. My mother no longer shook her head at my hopelessness, nor raised her eyes to heaven. Daddy turned, and his boots crunched gravel. He retrieved his fishing pole and tackle from the garage. I put the tip of my braid in my mouth and sucked it to a fine point as he walked out to the edge of the dock, his khaki vest sagging with lead weights and lures, the tackle box a drag on his left arm. He turned and looked back for a minute, tilting his head so his face caught the light. I put my hand up to wave, but a shaft of sun was in his eyes, and he didn't see. He swiveled back toward the John boat, stepped in, and he was gone. That's, that's <clears throat> excuse me, that's wonderful. Now, Lonnie's father was a wildlife and fisheries officer, and as you point out, he dies when she's 12 years old. Yes. You know, when a child loses a parent that young, the death becomes a sometimes the center around which their lives revolve, and that ends up happening to Lonnie, correct? Yes. But in this case, um, in a mysterious way. Yes, and it's the kind of loss that in her family, you know, her mother just kind of forbids talking about 
She doesn't want to talk about it. She doesn't want to think about it. So many of us have grown up in families where if it isn't pleasant, don't look at it, yeah. right? So they never kind of interrogate their own grief, and that means it's just lodged there forever, and she has never worked it out. Um, and this trip home, this extended trip home to help her mother um, kind of starts to unlodge that grief and that and those questions. Yeah, and, you know, that's one of those universal themes that I think folks can identify with, that, that you, not everybody deals with their grief openly. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's talk about the arc of the story, though, and, and the okay. writing of it. In the book, there are flashback chapters where Lonnie is recalling being with her father when he was still alive. And it really helps us understand the relationship. But as the author, how do you know where to put these chapters in the chronology? You know, when to, when to, know, <laughs> when to jump question. back. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have to say, you know, I, the way I work, I write and then I put the scenes on cards and I stick them up on my wall and then I rearrange them and I think about the logic of the story, the cause and effect of the story, um, what needs to be where. And those, those scenes got moved around a lot because I had to see where they served the forward motion of the story, because flashbacks otherwise can be a drag on a story, right? If you're just indulging yourself and going, well, now I'm going to explore, you know, the past. Um, They had to contribute to where the story was going. Um, I had somebody last night, I, I talked to a book club, and I had someone say, I liked those sections because you think of There's a love story, you know, in the present day between Lonnie, you know, reluctantly Mm -hmm. being attracted to somebody who kind of rents the canoes in the swamp. Right. Um, But she said, but I don't think that's the central love story. I think the central love story is between Boyd, the father, and the mother, Ruth. Ah. And and I thought that was an interesting perspective. And you don't get that uh, without that sense of who Boyd was with those, you know, forays into the past. But you're right, it's, um, it's really crucial to find out where scenes belong, because you want to propel the story forward, you want the reader to know that they're in good hands, and that you're not just frivolously sticking scenes in there, they all push toward that question that the reader wants answered. Well, you know, there's several relationships at the center of the story, and one, of course, is, as you just alluded to, between Boyd, um, who's deceased, and Lonnie, uh, excuse mm-hmm. me, and Lonnie's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, Lonnie's mother has is portrayed as at one time having been an avid gardener. Right. And in fact, you write at some point, quote, she seems to have kept the garden in trim even while the intern of the house turned towards ruin, close quote. Mm-hmm. Is that the effect of the death of, of Boyd? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think, you know, it's many years later when things start right. to deteriorate for Ruth, that she's very fastidious while Lonnie is at home and, and also while she's raising the brother, Phil, who's much younger than Lonnie. Um, but... She she's she's really experiencing some mental decline. Right. Um, but gardening is her heart. Gardening these herbs is what she knows, and she has learned 
about herbal tisanes and cures and country medicine from her mother-in-law, from from Boyd's mother. And that's something, you know, when when you encounter people who, you know, have kind of selective memories or have have lost some of their cognition, there's usually one thing that they are unfailing at. Um, for, for someone in my family that that happened to, it was music, right? Yeah, yeah that's common. Every lyric, mm-hmm. every note was, was just as it ever had been, where other things were starting to fall away. Yeah. And, um, and for Ruth... It's what she knows with her hands in the dirt, what she knows when she smells those herbs. Um, all of the the kind of rhyming mnemonics that tell her what an herb is used for, she can remember. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I saw Ruth, uh, as I saw her life through the lens of gardening. I don't know if that's what you intended, but that's I'm a gardener as well. And mm-hmm. I kind of saw her life through that lens. But let's mm-hmm. talk about Ruth and Lonnie for a moment, because mm-hmm. that's another one of the relationships that has <clears throat> kind of been put to the side, not explored, it seemed to me, and now it, it kind of has to be because of everything that's going on. The, the right. relationship is strained, but we don't know, and Lonnie doesn't know at the beginning why it's strained, right? That's exactly right. And there's a ticking clock, because if the mom is losing cognition... Lonnie has precious little time to mend that relationship. Um, she really has never understood why it's so acrimonious. Um, she loves her mom, but her mom is pretty, you know, a tough character. Yes, she and is. And mm-hmm. her grief has really shaped her in that way. Um, so it's interesting that Lonnie has an urgency to get to know her mom, to really understand you know, what has gone wrong between them so that she can fix it before it's too late. Well, but there's also, and this is maybe a larger point, um, maybe a philosophical point, can children really know themselves if they don't know their parents? Oh, that's an interesting point. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of self-knowledge that Lonnie gains from the beginning of the book to the end. Right. um, Because she is... She is a flawed character, for Mm -hmm. certain. And that's an interesting point, that once she kind of mends this relationship or tries to mend the relationship with her mother, maybe she can see herself better. I like that idea. All right, so there are other problematic relationships in the books uh, that revolve around Lonnie. Uh, Her relationship with her brother, Philip, who's now obviously grown up and and, uh, uh, in business, and her sister-in-law, Tammy, one of my one of my favorite um, flawed characters, if you will. Um, what is the cause of that tension? Well, you know, I mean, from a writer's point of view, the writer John Leroux used to say, "Only in fiction, only trouble is interesting." That's true. And so, you know, immediately when when Lonnie lands in Florida, she's got trouble because <laughs> she feels like she is somewhat pitted against her brother, and her sister-in-law. And the things that people fight about in families are money and property and their parents, right? So they, they, she's faced right away with some decisions that Phil has made that are counter to what she would have done. But, of course, she wasn't there. 
he was there. He had to take care of certain things for their mom. And so that that sets up a little bit of friction right away. And there are a lot of opposites in the book. You know, the con- country attitudes versus city attitudes. So she is kind of a city girl now, and she comes back to her small town and has to deal with Tammy, who is from that town, who is, you know, uh, not too interested in these highfalutin ways that, that Lonnie has. Um, and so there's instant kind of friction or trouble there, even though both, I think, are trying to approach each other in a way that is not confrontational. It's just it, it kind of explodes from the beginning. And then they have to, again, try to find some rapprochement. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things, look, first of all, the whole issue between Lonnie and her brother about what to do with their mother, that's a very real issue that people can yeah. identify with, at least I, yeah. I, I think so. And Tammy, for, for all her difficulty, does type of redeem herself towards the end, doesn't she? Yeah, it's funny because I had a friend who, like, read the book on the launch day, and she she texted me the whole time she was reading, and she said, I don't think I like this girl, Tammy. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, as she read through the book, you know, Tammy does kind of uh, transform. She's yeah. still herself. She but is. She's st- she has a bit of a, a, a transformation, as does Lonnie. I mean, ha- part of the, that, um, that change is in Lonnie and not in the people around her because she has perceived them in a certain way, and she starts to soften a little bit. Yeah, but you know, the thing that struck me too is that Tammy redeems herself, but in a way that is very much Tammy, you know, mm-hmm. it's not out of character or whatever. Right. Uh, so it's very believable. Now the novel presents us with a mystery and we don't want to, you know, destroy the mystery for folks that haven't read yet. But here's a question that I'm always curious about. How do you balance providing some clues, but not enough too early to reveal the answer to the mystery? Well, I think that um, there's a little bit of sleight of hand mm-hmm. that you have to perform if you are inserting an, a mystery element into a book. And that is, um, there, there's, a, there's a point where Lonnie says, <coughs> um, I feel like I've, I, I'm trying to find a bird and all I find are feathers and, and eggshells. Right. And um, and in a way, that's what you have to do when you're writing something that has a mystery element, because you you need to give true evidence all mixed up with red herrings and and things that don't matter, so that you're kind of saying to the reader, "Here's a bunch of stuff. Hey, look over there." Mm-hmm. Um, so you you know it's a, it's a little sleight of hand that you have to perform. Well, you know, one of the other things that strikes me about the mystery here, and and maybe this is more of a psychological point, but I thought it works really well, is it does raise the question of whether we ever really know someone Mm. or or do we just know people in caricatures, you know, or in the ways that fit our personal needs. And and that's true of several characters here, isn't it? Yes, I think it is. I think it is. I think we're all guilty of forming uh, realities that that as you say suit our own needs um we think of people we put them in a certain box and that's all settled for us right we we don't we don't want them outside of that box and so that's how we think of them and 
I think that that is probably, we all do it. It's a common misperception. And and then we wonder why we're surprised when someone is a little bit different than that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Now, your book has been compared uh, favorably to books like Where the Crawdads Sang and All Good People Here in Florida. How do you as a writer feel about that? Well, I think it's um, it's probably an important marketing technique in a certain way because <laughs> it's kind of like when you you know when when you're on Netflix and and they say if you like this movie you'll like that movie right um, so it gives people a sense of where to go um, it's not always completely accurate because right. you know every every story is unique and. Um, and this story was completed, you know, the, the manuscript was completed a long time before the books that they've been comparing it to. But, um, but I, you know, I think it's a double-edged sword. I think yeah. it, it will draw people in be, who liked those books. On the other hand, if they didn't like those books, they might not open up this book. So right. it's, a, it's a question of, um, you know, I let the people at, Gallery Books, Simon & Schuster, kind of um, decide certain things that, because I'm not a marketer. Right. Um, but the bookstores want to categorize the book, and that's their job. So Yeah. I think I, 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 you know, I, I would think as a, as a debut novel, it's a nice compliment. Uh, but sure. I can cer- certainly see how it could be uh, double-edged to that. Well, let me, let me end with this question, which is kind of a general question. Um, you know, when I interview writers, uh, I'll sometimes ask them, why do you write? And some folks will say, uh, you know, I write for myself. Uh, others will say, you know, to make a social or a political point. And mm-hmm. some, a couple will say, I do it for the money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tell me why you write and what do you get out of it? Uh, it is a compulsion, I will confess. I think it, um, I feel better. When I'm writing, I feel like I'm working things out um, using characters. So if something makes me unsettled or angry or, um, you know, if I just have a question that I can't figure out the answer to, I sit down and I write about it. And it's easier to project all of those emotions onto characters than to, um, you know, I'm not a memoirist. Uh-huh. Um, that, to me, feels too naked. Right. Um, but I think that working out a puzzle of a story with some strains of emotion that feel true is the best outcome for a writer. And um, I've always written. Um, I... You know, I, I've been working on writing for a long time, and um, it's there's a satisfaction in writing that is kind of like meditation in a way. You're so absorbed in the task, and you're solving so many problems um, that it gives you a certain peace of mind. And and I'm, what I'm hearing you say, and if, if I can characterize it this way, correct me if I'm wrong, by investing yourself in characters, you actually get to learn more about yourself. 
I think that's true. Yeah. I do think yeah. that's true, and, and probably in ways that I'm not even aware of. I have um, a friend who recently read the book, and she said, I feel like I know so much more about you now. <laughs> I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's always an interesting I, – I will end with this. It's always interesting, and I'm sure you've, had, you've already alluded to this experience, where you write a book, and people find things in the book that you, yourself, you weren't even cognizant of when you were writing. Uh, have you been surprised by that on occasion? Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Even my editor, mm-hmm. um, you know, saw things in the book that were latent that were needed to be brought to fruition, uh-huh. right? You know, certain relationships. She's like, you can't just put that relationship in at the beginning. You have to carry it through. You have to relate it to the main plot. You have to have that relationship have its own arc. And I loved that. Uh, about her because she saw something that was there in the book, but I hadn't developed it enough. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to the Writer's Forum, and I've been pleased to speak with author Virginia Hartman about her debut novel, The Marsh Queen. I encourage you to pick it up. Virginia, is there a website or a social media site that folks can go to in order to learn more about the book uh, and about you? Yes, um, they can go to my my uh, website, which is virginiahartman.com. And I also have an Instagram and a Facebook account at Virginia Hartman Author. So that would be fun if people wanted to look me up. Well, this has been enjoyable. Thank you so much for being on the show. What a pleasure, Mike. Thank you so much. <laughs>